0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to episode 33 of the Fantasy Law Guy podcast. I'm Nick Grisco at Fantasy Law Guy on Instagram. Week 2, Sunday recaps, a.k.a. Survival of the Fittest. keep dropped the ball! keep oh. dropped the ball! He did what? Playoffs? What are we talking about? Playoffs? Who the hell is Mel Kite? They are who we thought they were! Let him on the hook. Playoffs. I just hope we can win a game. It's a what the hell's going on out here? I cannot play with him. I cannot win with him. I cannot coach with him. I can't do it. Can't wait. You like that? You like that? Just keep attriculating the ball down the field. Boy. I saw. Son. I saw. I saw. Hello. You play to win the game. Sends the Saints to the Super Bowl. Week 2 was riddled with serious injuries that will cripple many fantasy teams throughout the world. And Today I'm going to sift through those injuries, provide updates, as well as recap all of the games Sunday from a fantasy football perspective. I'll try not to forget any teams this week. Let's kick off with a game of the week, possibly the game of the season. The Atlanta Falcons blew a 20-0 lead, and you really hate to see it. Thrilling comeback shootout 40 to 39 on a last second field goal. And you know a combined 79 points means there were excellent fantasy performances here. And yes, indeed there were. Dak Prescott, 450 passing yards, one passing score, and 18 rushing yards, but three rushing touchdowns. So four total touchdowns, 450 yards from Dak Prescott. What a game. And he was trailing all game. Again, Dallas trailed 20-0 to zero after one quarter thanks to multiple lost fumbles by the Cowboys. And they were even down 39-24 to 24 with less than five minutes to play. So Dak was just in comeback mode. All game, And that is really beneficial when you are playing against the Falcons defense, who has now been lit up by Russ Wilson in Week 1 and now Dak Prescott in Week 2. Tough slate of quarterbacks for the Falcons, but man, their defense just really stinks. I mean, it is one that you want to target in fantasy football for your passing game. And Dallas just put on a clinic in the second half. Dak, again, he punched in three rushing touchdowns, all from short distance. And the shootout and the game script was perfect for Dak. Dak, he has perfect receiving trio, Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, CeeDee Lamb. And the leadership that Dak showed and the ability to come back was spectacular, as was his fantasy performance. His top receiver, Amari Cooper, nine targets, six catches, 100 yards on the dot, no scores. But Cooper's big play of the day was this incredible one-handed grab over the middle of the field, he had beaten the defender, and he kind of had a clear path to the end zone. Honestly, he was about two or three steps ahead of the defender. But an overthrow from Dak caused Amari Cooper to have to really stretch out and do like this one-handed, almost diving kind of catch. And had the t- had the throw been thrown perfectly, it probably would have been a touchdown. But nonetheless, Cooper showed off his skills there. And he has not found the end zone this season, but he has a whopping 23 targets through two weeks. And again, this Dallas was trailing all day, so this was a good game for Cooper. Good start to the season for Marty Cooper here, even though he has not found the end zone yet. I'm going to move on to Dallas's second best wide receiver. I don't want to know. I don't want to say he's second best, but I think second most prominent from a fantasy football perspective, and that is CD Lamb. CD Lamb is overtaking Michael Gallup, which is something that I am looking smart about. And there's plenty of things that I look dumb about that we'll get to in week two. But CeeDee Lamb overtaking Michael Gallup. This is something I called. It was a very controversial take. It was one reason that I had Michael Gallup and my NFC players to avoid. Because just no expert was talking about the idea that CeeDee Lamb could just play a bigger role than Michael Gallup this season. And that's exactly what's kind of happening here. Nine targets for Lamb. Six targets. Catches 106 yards for CeeDee Lamb in his second game. And Lamb led the Cowboys in receiving. And he's essentially an every-down player. And, I again, I think he's overtaking Michael Gallup as the Cowboys' number two receiver. So in every week, wide receiver three play for CeeDee Lamb there, even though technically he's the third receiver for the Cowboys, I consider him more like number two. Michael Gallup struggled once again. Only five targets. Two catches, 58 receiving yards. That's after a week one where he only had 50 receiving yards on three catches. It's another extremely disappointing day for Michael Gallup. And that's it's especially so because Dak Prescott threw for 450 yards in this game. So the fact that Gallup only had 58 of them is not giddy-up for Michael Gallup. And he was stuck on one catch for 20 yards before the final drive of this game, and his targets were fifth in the team, even behind tight end Dalton Schultz. And Schultz replaced Blake Jarwin, the tight end for the Cowboys who tore his ACL in week one. And Schultz actually had over a 20% target share. We will talk about him a little bit on the waiver wire pod, but it is just worth noting right now. Ezekiel Elliott, 22 carries, 89 rushing yards, one touchdown, six catches. 33 yards. He did have a fumble loss in the first quarter, and that was part of the reasons that the Cowboys fell into that 20-0 hole, but Dallas just kept feeding Zeke, and he had a second touchdown in this game, actually called back on an overturned review that showed he was down at the one-yard line, and Dak Prescott punched in one of his three rushing touchdowns on the next play or two. And Zeke's day obviously could have been a lot better if not for those three rushing touchdowns by Dak Prescott in short yardage situations. But again, the Cowboys were trailing all game. Zeke did get the benefit of six catches for 33 yards. Zeke's looked good in the receiving game here this season through two weeks. And overall, this was just an impressive showing by Dallas Not just because of the statistical output, but mainly because they were missing Lyle Collins, their right tackle. And they are also missing Tyrone Smith, which I expressed a lot of hesitancy and a lot of worry going into this game if Tyrone Smith was going to miss. And it really looked like it was going to get ugly when they went down 20-0. to But Dak was able to overcome the lack of protection or the Falcons just weren't able to take advantage of it. It's probably more so the latter. But the Cowboys do deserve credit for putting up this great production and coming back and getting this win in just this epic game without both starting offensive tackles. And the Falcons become the first team ever to lose when they score 30, when a team scores 39 points and has no turnovers. And I think teams were 440 in zero if they accomplished those two things going into this game. So of course the Falcons are going to be the one to break that streak. Let's talk about the Falcons right now. Matt Ryan, 273 passing yards, not a lot because he was leading all game, but four sorry, not 400, four touchdowns, zero interceptions. So Matt Ryan came out cooking in this one once again. The Falcons jumped out to a 20-0 lead. Matt Ryan had a long touchdown to Hayden Hurst, and he also found Russell Gage for a short score late, and he threw two touchdowns to Calvin Ridley once again. So Matt Ryan, 723 passing yards, six touchdowns after two games. He is rolling right now. The Falcons, Swiss cheese defense. They're just one of the worst defenses in the league. It forces Matt Ryan to keep throwing. And the Falcons just have no running game really whatsoever, despite Todd Gurley's presence there. So Matt Ryan is just in a great situation here, and he's had a great start to the season, as I expected. Julio Jones, unfortunately, did not have a great game, and when I say did not have a great game, I mean that in a truly complimentary way because he was awful in this game. He was terrible. Four targets, two catches, 24 yards, a total bust game. His targets were a distant fourth on the team, and Julio James dropped what should have been a 42-yard touchdown that was right in his hands on a beautiful wildcat throw from Russell Gage on a trick play. And Julio Jones has been opening things up for his other teammates, but he is not putting in the fantasy box score production that we need in this game. And again, this game was a shootout, so it is very depressing and kind of curiously bad performance from Julio Jones in this game. But he is Julio Jones, so I do expect him to rebound probably next week. Calvin Ridley, 10 targets. He was the Falcons' number one receiver in this game. Maybe because Julio was fighting off the attention, of course. But Ridley just looks incredible this year. Ten targets, seven catches, 109 yards. It's his second straight 100-yard game to open up the season. And it's his second straight game to open up the season with two touchdowns. So Ridley has four touchdowns so far this year. He is living up to the offseason hype as this year's Chris Godwin. And he he actually outplayed Julio Jones today in a major way. And Ridley showed off his skills as one of the best route runners in the NFL in this game. He got open for a 22-yard touchdown where he kind of tiptoed down the sideline before extending to touch the pylon as he fell out of bounds. It was a very athletic play by Ridley, and he was later left wide open for a 3-yard touchdown. I think that's the third three of his touchdowns, I'm pretty sure, have been. He's just been left wide open. So part of that may be him benefiting from the extra attention that Julio Jones receives, but Ridley is certainly taking advantage, and he looks like a top-12 receiver, a number-one receiver for sure in fantasy football. Definitely happy that I had him higher than ADP consensus uh, by a wide margin there. So hopefully you landed Ridley on your teams. Hayden Hurst had a bounce-back game from a poor Week 1 performance. Eight targets, great. Five catches, 72 yards, and a touchdown. A lot of this was in a 42-yard touchdown down the left sideline in the first half. Of This shootout his eight targets were third on the team, but that's good usage by Hayden Hurst. You can feel comfortable moving forward with him in your starting lineup. I think the chemistry is only going to get better between Matt Ryan and Hayden Hurst. The Falcons running game did not get going here. Todd Gurley 21 carries 61 yards. So good usage, but zero catches zero targets. So it just wasn't a factor in the receiving game. Ito Smith got a goal line carry from the one yard line, but was blown up on the play. All the Falcons touchdowns were through the air and Gurley, you know, good rushing volume through the first two games. He's had 14 carries and then 21 carries, but only two catches on the season for one yard. And this was an exploitable matchup with the Falcons leading all games. So positive game strip for Gurley and the Dallas Cowboys were missing Leighton Vanderash linebacker there. So, Pretty disappointing start, all things considered, for Gurley. I thought things were looking up after week one. I thought maybe I could have been wrong on Todd Gurley uh, by ranking him so low in my draft guide, but it looks like so far so good in terms of the accuracy of that ranking down there. But again, we will get to plenty of bad news for my draft guide later in this show. And next game, the San Francisco 49ers. Steamrolled the hapless New York Jets 31-13. to This was pretty expected of an outcome right there. I was actually really surprised that the 49ers were favored by only 7 in this game despite their injuries. The Jets are really just that bad. Jimmy Garoppolo started this game, but he did not finish it. This was one of the many, many injuries that took place in Week 2. And that was one of the storylines of Week 2 was the significance of the injuries, not even just for fantasy football, but a lot of key defensive players were lost in Week 2 as well, including Nick Bosa, the Niners, or one of their best defensive players who looks like he's going to be out with a torn ACL. Jimmy Garoppolo exited after 131 passing yards and two touchdowns, so he was having a pretty good game against the Jets, which was expected, but he exited just before halftime, and he actually played through what looks to be a high ankle sprain or some kind of ankle injury. He actually played through it for a few drives, so props to him for doing that. And he threw two touchdowns to Jordan Reed. And Nick Mullins came in and went 8-for-11 with an interception in relief. And it looks like Nick Mullins, who isn't bad, he's actually one of the better backup quarterbacks in the league, so it's not like devastation totally for George Kittle and, and company. But obviously we would like to see Jimmy Garoppolo healthy, And now, unfortunately, Nick Mullins is going to be the starter there. It looks like it's going to be for a couple of games, I would say, but I haven't gotten, I haven't received a good injury update on Garoppolo yet. George Kittle was out for this game with a knee sprain and a bone bruise. I would say he's questionable for week three, but unfortunately for George Kittle, and this just totally. Sucks if you drafted George Kittle, which I did in plenty of leagues, because you saw in week one where he had 44 yards on four catches in the first half, then got hurt, and that was against the Cardinals. So he could have had, you know, an 80 yard game, maybe a possible score in week one. And then in week two, Jordan Reed, who I did mention was a good pivot. If you had George Kittle, I mentioned that you could just throw Jordan Reed in there and hope that he scores. Well, Jordan Reed dominated in a big way eight targets, seven catches. 50 yards and two touchdowns. If George Kittle misses again, Jordan Reed is definitely an option there. But it's just a shame to see these two soft matchups against the Cardinals and Jets where Kittle probably could have dominated here. He has to miss both those games. So such an unfortunate situation for Kittle. And he was a guy that I had really, really high in my draft guide. So I hate to see it. It's just you know not good for the brand there. Brandon Ayuk. Wide receiver, rookie wide receiver for the 49ers. He played his first game, didn't do much. He had about 20 yards. I think that he's worth rostering in 12-team formats, but I just wanted to mention him for that reason. Raheem Mostard, big storyline here. He exited with a knee injury just before halftime, did not return, and Mostard was having quite the day before exiting. He had an 80-yard touchdown run within a minute of this game starting, and he hit 23 miles an hour on his sprint down the sideline. This was the fastest recorded player speed, breaking his own record from last week. Mostert just had a slew of long touchdown runs. He's such a great sprinter, and nobody really thinks of Mostert being like as fast as like Tyreek Hill and everything like that, but with the ball in hands and with pads on, Mostert is certainly one of the fastest players in the NFL, and again, he broke his own record based on GPS tracking of how fast they've run. Last week, he had like 22-point-something miles an hour. He hit that on one of his touchdown runs. This week, 23. And Mostert also had a 68-yard touchdown called back by penalty. So he could have had 150 yards, two touchdowns, going into halftime in this game. But that one, again, was called back by penalty. And Mostert reportedly is a mild MCL sprain. Tevin Coleman... 14 carries, 12 rushing yards. Brutal day for Tevin Coleman. He was hit in the backfield pretty much every time he touched the ball. And most of McKinnon were receiving light boxes and solid blocking for whatever reason. Coleman, he took a few plays off while nursing a knee injury himself. But he did return. And the running game was leaned on once Jimmy Garoppolo exited. Especially because at that point the 49ers were winning big. Jarek McKinnon, 3 carries, 77 yards Yeah, I said that right. He had a 55-yard run on 3rd and 31 at one point. That speaks to how pathetic the Jets really are. It was 3rd and 31. They gave an inside handoff to Jarek McKinnon, and he bursted for a 55-yard run. McKinnon has a decent game here, but despite showing his speed coming off the serious knee injury, his work has been limited in the running back by committee, although we'll have to see if Raheem Mostert misses time. I would expect right now, that Mostert is going to miss two, maybe three games. Maybe he'll play after one game, but I would expect Mostert to miss some time. So McKinnon definitely worth an add. And I think Tevin Coleman, even though he was abysmal today and couldn't get anything going, he did have two catchers for 28 yards. I think Kevin Tevin Coleman is worth an add in 12-team leagues as well. We'll talk about that more on the waiver Wire show. For the Jets, Sam Darnold, it was ugly once again. 177 yards passing, one touchdown. He did avoid turnovers in this game, which is good. And his touchdown was a pretty sexy throw. It was a great sidearm throw while he was kind of fading away, uh, hitting the receiver in stride. That was Braxton Berrios that he scored there. Sam Donald just has the worst supporting cast here. And offensive line, four of five new starters on that O-line. They're obviously still working out the kinks. Jamison Crowder was out for this game. Denzel Mims out for this game. Le'Veon Bell out for this game. And Brashad Perryman exited early. So it was just really, really tough going for Sam Darnold. And Darnold didn't go deep often. And he just missed a number of throws as well. But yeah, this you just can't be trusting any Jets player right now in fantasy football. Frank Gore saw 21 carries but didn't do much with them. But he became the oldest player to ever Received 21 carries in a game that's good for him, but I don't think he's worth rostering in 12-team leagues despite his starting role. And Chris Herndon, who's probably the only Jet who is worth playing in this game with Jamison Crowder out, Chris Herndon flopped in a major way. Four targets, one reception, five yards. And again, that was no Jamison Crowder, no Denzel Mims, Le'Veon Bell out, Rashad Perryman exiting in this game early. Herndon still couldn't take advantage, and it's not all Herndon's fault. His four targets were fourth on the team, but Herndon is blocking on 36% of the Jets' pass snaps, one of the highest rates in the league for tight ends, and Herndon's only playing 75% of the snaps in general, so he's not a full-time player, and Adam Gase is using Herndon as more of a blocker. It makes no sense whatsoever, but as long as Adam Gase is there, you just can't trust trust any Jets player except for maybe Jamison Crowder, and he's dealing with a hamstring injury, so who knows when he is fully healthy. This is just a total dumpster fire, as could have been expected going into the season. Next up, the Tennessee Titans improved to 2-0 with another close victory, this time against the Jacksonville Jaguars. The Titans built... An early lead against the Jags, but the Jags storm back like Gardner Minshew tends to do. And we'll get to that in a second, but we'll start with the Titans here. 239 passing yards by Ryan Tannehill. Four touchdowns from Ryan Tannehill. I mentioned Tannehill was my favorite streaming quarterback this week, and a lot of experts were overanalyzing Tannehill saying, oh, you know, this is going to be a Derrick Henry game, but the volume is just not going to be there for Tannehill. He's only going to have like one or two touchdowns. The volume doesn't matter when you're facing the Jacksonville Jaguars. And this game went exactly kind of as I expected it to because what did the Jaguars do? They made sure that they shut down Derrick Henry. The Jaguars were kind of the laughing stock of the league. They got embarrassed by Derrick Henry in the past. I knew they were going to come out and try to shut down Derrick Henry, and I knew Tannehill was going to benefit from that, and that's exactly what happened. I did not think Tannehill was going to throw four touchdowns. I thought it was going to be maybe three, but four touchdowns, great game by Ryan Tannehill. I was lucky to be starting him in two leagues, and Tannehill looks like he's carrying over a great finish from last season where he was a top-eight quarterback from when he started becoming the starter in Week 7 of last season. He finished as a top-eight quarterback in pace, in points per game, and Hill's really carrying that over this season. This game was without A.J. Brown. A.J. Brown was out. Hill ended up still finding Jonu Smith, Corey Davis, Adam Humphreys, all for good days. And the Titans barely were able to get the win. And a lot of this win was thanks to Steven Goskowski actually having a great Kicking day. He did miss an extra point, but he did a great kicking day hitting multiple long field goals, including the one for the win. A.J. Brown was out for this game. He's got a bone bruise. The Titans have Minnesota next on their schedule. I would expect, because Minnesota is such a trash team, I would expect the Titans th- would think that they can get by winning that game without A.J. Brown. I would expect him to miss one more week. We will see there. Corey Davis, five targets, three catches, 36 yards, and one touchdown against the Jaguars. That was with A.J. Brown out. His touchdown was kind of a short catch in the red zone, but Davis finished behind Johnny Smith and Adam Humphreys in receiving. I mentioned Adam Humphreys was a sleeper going into this game. If you're in a deep league and you needed a receiver, a desperation play there, I mentioned Adam Humphreys should be your guy. He caught a touchdown and five catches in this game. Johnny Smith was the real story, though. Five targets, not that great, but four catches, 84 yards so very efficient, two touchdowns for Jonu Smith. He now has three on the year. Again, this is with A.J. Brown out, but Smith had a 62-yard catch on the first play from scrimmage for the Tennessee Titans. He also scored on that same drive, that opening drive, with a sweet over-the-head catch, and Smith had just two catches for eight yards after halftime. The Titans were just kind of protecting their lead with Derrick Henry. But Johnny Smith, a real factor in this offense. I mentioned he was my number one sleeper tight end in my draft guide this year, and he looks like to be a big hit so far this year, especially if you were able to snag him as your tight end two or pivot to him with George Kittle out. Derrick Henry in this game, 25 rushes. The volume was there once again, but only 84 carries. No catches in this game, so it was a pretty rough game for Derrick Henry. Darrington Evans, the backup running back for the Titans, was out again. But Henry just failed to catch both of his targets. And the Titans really never got Henry going in this game, especially in the first half where he was just stuffed repeatedly. It's like the Jaguars just wanted to make sure Henry didn't beat him. They were letting Tannehill beat them with four touchdowns there. But Henry was able to pick up some yards in clock-killing mode like he does in the fourth quarter because it is just really tough stopping Derrick Henry all single, all game, right? He eventually wears down defenses. And, again, massive la- workload for Derrick Henry for the second straight week. But, again, defenses are keying in on him, and they are letting Ryan Tannehill beat them. And this looked like a potential smash spot against the Jaguars. I kind of warned against that there. But the Jags, I still thought that it was going to be a better game than this. I thought he was going to get to 100 yards and have a possible touchdown. But the Jaguars just did not want to be embarrassed by Derrick Henry. So two very voluminous games for Derrick Henry. I think he has, what, 31 plus 25? What is that? 66 carries in the first—oh, sorry, 56 carries. Bad math by me. Psych! That's the wrong number! Oh! 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 Hey, hey, let's calm it What does that make you feel? What? 56 carries in the first two games, very good volume for Henry. We just got to get more of that receiving game going, and we, he's got to find the end zone, right? All right, moving on to the Jaguars' side of the ball, Gardner Minshew. I mentioned that I would not be starting him in one quarterback leagues, but he's a perfect superflex quarterback. Well, I wish I would have started him in one quarterback leagues. I don't know. There was a lot of great performances, but 339 yards, three touchdowns, two interceptions, but one of those interceptions was mitigated or canceled out by four rushes, 19 yards from Gardner Minshew. He always has a nice little rushing floor that takes away one of his interceptions, which is pretty cool, but Minshew, he struggled early with the Jaguars going down two scores. He rallied late, and he just is such a rallier, man. That's what he tends to do. He tied it up in the fourth quarter. It looked like the Jags were going to pull off another miracle win and start 2-0. He had a touchdown to Chris Thompson late. Minshew... Unfortunately, through an interception on the final drive when the Jaguars were trying to go at least tie the game. And this interception was tipped at the line of scrimmage. But Minshew completed 30 of 45 passes. So good start to the season for Minshew. He has six touchdowns in the first two games this year. DJ Chark, unfortunately not receiving the usage that we saw last year. Chark has just seen seven targets in two games. A 10.8% target share through two weeks for the Jacksonville Jaguars. In this game, he saw five targets, four catches, 84 yards. So not a terrible game, but definitely not what we expected out of DJ Chark. And the Jags are just spreading the ball out. They're spreading it all around this season. So, so far, DJ Chark looking like a mini sort of bust here. Two decent but not good games by DJ Chark to start the season. LaVisca Chenault, four catches. Sorry, four targets, three catches, 35 yards, but he also had five carries, 37 yards on those five carries. He was used as a change-of-pace running back to James Robinson, and he also rotated in, of course, on three and four wide receiver sets. Chanel definitely worth a roster spot in 12-team formats. I think his role is only going to grow. Reminder, this this guy's a rookie in a shortened offseason here, and he was a borderline first-round talent, but he went in the second round because of injuries or medical red flags. LaVisca Chenault, definitely somebody you want to be targeting in free agency, I would say, with the Jaguars always trailing. I think his role is going to increase as the season goes on. Keelan Cole playing pretty good football for the Jaguars right now. I don't know if I would spend a waiver-wire claim on him just yet, but James Robinson... Make sure he is not in any free agencies whatsoever. He probably isn't, but 16 carries, 102 yards, one touchdown. And he also had four targets, three catches, 18 yards against the Tennessee Titans. Robinson remained the Jaguars' workhorse, and he rushed for over 100 yards in this game. That's a great game. He had a splash run of 41 yards. He was used more in the receiving game. And this was when game flow was working against him. The Titans were winning this game and still, James Robinson, great game here. Laviska Chennault, Chris Thompson did play their fair share of running back snaps. And they are more of pass-catching snaps or pass-catching backs. And they stole some receptions from James Robinson. But hey, he's the starting running back on the Jaguars. They're giving him almost all of the rushing attempts. So James Robinson... Absolutely a nice bench player and possible even flex start in good matchups here. But you should be very happy if you're able to scramble to the waiver wire and pick up James Robinson. All right, let's move on to the Buffalo Bills. And they defeated the Miami Dolphins 31-28, and they improved to 2-0. And this was a higher scoring game than expected. Josh Allen. 417 yards. I'm just going to stop the stat line reading right there. Josh Allen going into this game had never had a 300-yard passing game. Sorry, going into the season, Josh Allen had never had a 300-yard passing game in his career in his two years before this season started. Never a 300-yard passing game. And he's opened the season with a 312-yard game and a 417-yard game. Was it against soft opponents in the Jets and Miami Dolphins? Yes, it was. doesn't matter. Josh Allen, four touchdowns in this game, zero interceptions. He did have a couple of dropped interceptions, but that is just being nitpicky here. Josh Allen looks like a much better passer, and Stephon Diggs helping him in a major way. We'll get to Diggs in a second, but Allen just was letting loose for long completions in this game. He had completions of 47 46, 46, 38, and 26 yards. And he's just wrecked two weaker opponents, but he's just opened up the season white hot, and he looks like a much-improved passer again. And today, he played with his new toy, Stefan Diggs. Allen has over 700 passing yards and six touchdowns, zero interceptions through two weeks. He has been a league winner so far. It's a little early to say that, but he's been so clutch of a pick, and he's been a great Great value pick in the mid-rounds of drafts. And I like that I had him so high on my draft board. And he is on a lot of my team. So I'm he's been willing me to win in a lot of these leagues where I've had been hit by some injuries. So great by Josh Allen. And he hit John Brown in this game for a long score with three minutes remaining. It was just a very clutch throw. John Brown, six targets, four catches, 82 yards, and a score. That's his second game. In a row with at least 70 yards and a touchdown. So Brown made his presence known to, uh, yesterday with running over the top of the defense. 46-yard touchdown in the fourth quarter. He was otherwise overshadowed by Stefan Diggs. 13 targets, 8 catches, 153 receiving yards and a touchdown. I mentioned that Diggs was my favorite flex to start in this game out of all the skill positions here. Miami's top corner. Byron Jones, he exited early, and this helped my prediction there. Diggs was facing a rookie nickel cornerback for most of this game, and Diggs was just getting open with his ankle-breaking, route-running ability. And also Josh Allen was just heaving 50-50 balls into Diggs' direction where Diggs was winning on that. And this game could have been even bigger for Stephon Diggs. Josh Allen missed him on a potentially long touchdown but he made up for it with several great throws to Stephon Diggs in his direction. Great game by Stephon Diggs. Things are rolling for the Buffalo Bills. The running game, not so much. Not running game, not really picking up. The Bills are a pass-first offense, it's looking like, at least in terms of the early portion of the season. Devin Singletary, 10 carries, 56 yards, 2 catches, 20 yards. Singletary looked like the better back than Zach Moss today. Moss only had 37 yards. Yards on eight attempts and no receiving targets for Zach Moss, which is brutal. It's just not a good game by either running back. And the issue isn't so much that they are canceling each other out. The issue is that the Bills are mainly just a pass-first team now, right? Like, that's what they seem to be. Josh Allen putting up a career high in attempts, and it just seems like the running game is just kind of ancillary to how they want to play in this offense. And Singletary has out Zach Moss 26-20 to on the year. But this is a total running back by committee. Zach Moss seems to be still more the red zone running back. They didn't really have that many red zone opportunities in this game because Josh Allen was scoring from more than 10 yards out on his four touchdowns. So not a great start of the season for Devin Singletary, which I did expect. But I was hoping that Zach Moss would have a better start to the season than he has so far. The Bills have just been reluctant to really get the running game going. And they haven't had to because Josh Allen's been tearing up defenses. Moving on to the Dolphins' side of the ball. There's not a lot to talk about here. Preston Williams, one target, one catch, 26 yards. And he played opposite of Pro Bowl cornerback Tredavious White. And he was targeted only once in White's tight coverage. And he was really just kind of irrelevant today or yesterday. But he does get the Jacksonville Jaguars' coming up, which is good. Devontae Parker did play in this game. Eight targets, five catches, 53 yards. This was actually an encouraging performance considering Devontae Parker came into this game questionable with a hamstring injury, and he boxed out a defender on the two-yard line for his short touchdown, and it helped that the Dolphins were trailing for most of this game, and Ryan Fitzpatrick had a nice day. He brought Fitzmagic back. Devontae Parker and Preston Williams couldn't take advantage, but Mike just sicky Could 11 targets for Jasicki, eight catches, 129 yards, one touchdown. The breakout game for Mike Jasicki was yesterday. The Bills were missing linebackers Tremaine Edmonds and Matt Milano, which I mentioned in my preview. But they tried to throw backup linebackers, they tried to throw cornerbacks, they tried to throw safeties at Jasicki. They couldn't slow him down, and Jasicki used his 6'6, 247 frame to box out Tredavious White. On a, an 8-yard touchdown. And he also had a sensational one-handed Gronkowski-like grab in stride. That was actually on a pass thrown behind him. And Jasicki also lined up in the slot for 79% of his snaps. That's this season's rate. He continued to do so in Week 2. So this was just a great game for Mike Jasicki. I think he's the only Miami Dolphin I would feel comfortable starting right now. And... A lot of backup tight ends or a lot of borderline tight ends had breakout performances this week. But Mike Jasicki, I had him as a sleeper in my draft guide. So good to see his good work here. Miles Gaskin led the team in rushing once again. This still is a running back by committee. Jordan Howard scored on a one or short yardage run once again, but wasn't really used. Matt Breida was also used. Miles Gaskin also used. I think Miles Gaskin is the best running back on this team right now. He is worth a 12-team roster spot. He should be picked up in your leagues if he's not already, but I don't know if I'd be comfortable using him or starting him yet, but he's a nice little bench stash there if he can take over this backfield because I do think he's the best player, at least right now, in this backfield. All right, let's move on to the Arizona Cardinals. They got an easy win against the Washington football team. Arizona 2-0, and that's because of Kyler Murray. 286 passing yards, one touchdown, one interception, but eight carries, 67 rushing yards, two rushing touchdowns. Another great day from Kyler Murray even better than week one. Of course, it was against a worse defense. The speedy, elusive Murray. He just makes defenders look silly on his way to the end zone. Two times on scrambling touchdowns where it was just incredible rushing touchdowns by Kyler Murray. He's running a lot more this year. He looks healthier, he looks more comfortable with this offense in his second year as a pro. The Cardinals are playing at a fast pace, and he's just showing out with a better supporting cast thanks to DeAndre Hopkins. The the full-on breakout for Kyler Murray looks like it is upon us already. DeAndre Hopkins, 9 targets, 8 catches, 68 yards, and a touchdown. This seemed like a bad game for DeAndre Hopkins. He had a rare drop in the first half, and that was his only missed target. And the Cardinals just didn't really call his name much with them just kind of killing clock in the second half in an easy win with their running game and with Kyler Murray scrambles. But Hopkins, clear alpha, wide receiver on this team. He could lead the league in targets this year, honestly. He had nine targets, again, eight catches, 68 yards, and a touchdown in this game. So a great or a very strong fantasy day, but yet it felt like a bad day from DeAndre Hopkins. So what does that really say? I mean, the sky is the limit for DeAndre Hopkins and for Kyler Murray. Christian Kirk, Did not do much for the second week in a row. Four targets, two catches. He caught one 49-yard pass and then another 8-yard pass. But the targets behind DeAndre Hopkins are just too spread out for Christian Kirk to thrive. And same for Larry Fitzgerald, who did get used in the red zone. He did catch a couple of passes, but it's just not worth stashing Christian Kirk or Larry Fitzgerald. I think they're both a drop in 12-team formats. Moving on to the Cardinals' running game here, another unspectacular showing for Kenyon Drake. 20 carries, though, 86 yards, 2 catches, 9 yards. He kind of struggled to get anything going, and it's a pretty good Washington defensive front 7. But the Cardinals were very run-heavy, especially in the second half. And Drake still worked as the primary back as they were trying to just kill clock and, and get out of there with the easy win. Drake hasn't really had his blow-up game yet, but definitely still a solid, or I would say borderline RB1, definitely a very, very strong RB2. I wouldn't say there's any regrets yet of drafting Kenyon Drake. I would just be patient there. I think the touchdowns are going to come, and the bigger days are going to come. He's getting the usage that we wanted out of Kenyon Drake. The efficiency is just not quite there yet. But I certainly don't think it's, it's time to panic. Moving on to the Washington football team. Dwayne Haskins, 223 passing yards, one touchdown, zero interceptions. He missed a few critical throws, especially in the second half and early in the third quarter. But his target distribution was narrow. 24 of his 33 passes went to either Terry McLaurin, Logan Thomas, or Steven Sims. But it's clear, however, that Washington wants to hide Dwayne Haskins with a conservative game plan. And he did manage to find Terry McLaurin quite a bit when trailing, which was great. It was a great game for Scary Terry. 10 targets, 7 catches, 125 yards, and a score. McLaurin really was struggling against Patrick Peterson a little bit in the first half, but then McLaurin just couldn't be stopped in the second half. He started moving around. He was beating double teams, and he was zipping past defenders with a second gear that he showed with the ball in his hands. If not for a couple of errant throws from Dwayne Haskins, McCormick could have had a monster day with favorable game flow. Logan Thomas, nine targets. That's after week one where he had eight targets, but he only had four catches, 26 yards. It was mostly on underneath stuff, and they just couldn't get anything really going with Dwayne Haskins despite favorable game flow. But, But Logan Thomas actually leads all tight ends in routes run per drop back at 86%. So 86% of the time that the Washington football team throws, Logan Thomas is running a route. That is good usage. He is definitely worth a stash in 12-team formats, but we aren't likely starting him just yet. I did use Logan Thomas in a couple of leagues with George Kittle being out. As far as the running game goes, Antonio Gibson put his stamp on this offense. Gibson led the Washington football team in rushing attempts. He averaged 4.2 yards a carry, 13 carries, 55 yards, one touchdown. For Gibson, but only one catch for negative 1 yards. So still not being used in the receiving game much, which is very curious because that seemingly would be Gibson's specialty there. But Washington kind of ditched the run in the third quarter while they were or sorry, in the fourth quarter while they were trailing, but it's another step for Gibson kind of getting more and more integrated into this offense after a slow week 1. I would feel pretty good If I had Antonio Gibson on my team right now, I think his role is only going to increase, and hopefully they start using him in the passing game more. Okay, next game, the Chargers looked poised to upset the Chiefs, but Patrick Mahomes led the Super Bowl champs to an overtime victory. 23-20 was the final score, and again, it was in overtime. Pat Mahomes, 302 yards, two touchdowns, zero interceptions in this game. He has some rushing yards as well, and Mahomes actually struggled mightily in the first half, but he won ugly. The Chargers zone defense and pressure kind of limited Mahomes' big plays, but they had one deep conversion to Tyreek Hill in the fourth quarter on a beautiful throw that only Patrick Mahomes could make while he was on the run, hitting his receiver in stride when he was like double covered. It was an insane throw and it's like a 55-yard touchdown. Mahomes got to 300 passing yards in overtime in the comeback victory, and again, he added some rushing yards on some scrambles as well. Mahomes... Not exactly lighting it up in his first two weeks of the season, but still looking like one of the best quarterbacks in the league. And I think it's only a matter of times before he starts having those four, five touchdown games. Again, he could have in week one, but he had the two dropped touchdowns in that game. Yeah, this game was a slower game, but if there's any opponent that he plays poorly against, it is the Chargers, as he played poorly against them twice last season. Tyreek Hill, 11 targets, 5 touchdowns. Receptions, 99 yards, and a touchdown, only one away from 100. It was not an easy matchup for Hill. He was bottled up and essentially erased in the first half. He actually dealt with some cramps. But Hill, again, he got two steps on two defenders late for that 54-yard touchdown that I just talked about. Mahomes put that pass on the money. And Tyreek Hill, it just goes to show it only really takes one play with him. He was just totally kind of erased from the box score until that one play. It was kind of similar to his week one where he scored a touchdown late in that game to kind of save his day. But this one was more explosive, being over 50 yards. And it was just such an amazing play by Tyreek Hill and Mahomes. Sammy Watkins predictably did not do much in his follow-up to Week 1. Only three targets, one catch, 11 yards. He actually exited the game late with a concussion-related injury. And McCall Hardman did score in this game, but it's yet to be determined if Sammy Watkins is going to miss any time. So we'll see from that. And Travis Kelsey... 14 targets in this game, amazing for a tight end. Nine catches, 90 yards, one touchdown. I mentioned that this was probably going to be a Kelsey game uh, going into the game in my preview pod, and it certainly was. 14 targets is amazing, and he was just the most consistent chain mover for the Chiefs on a day where Mahomes was kind of struggling. And Kelsey, he won in the end zone as he leapt over a defender, and he's on pace for another monster season, Travis Kelsey is. Is it going to be the fifth straight year where he is tied in one? That would truly be insane, but he's he's on pace for it. So in a surprising turn of events, Justin Herbert, rookie quarterback, he had to start this game, and he found out about 5 to 10 seconds before kickoff. That's when they told him he was starting. Tarad Taylor, he suffered a chest injury. He had trouble breathing in pregame warmups. And that kind of thrust the rookie into the starting lineup just earlier than anyone, including Herbert, expected. And Herbert had not really worked with the first-team offense, like basically at all, in training camp. Again, shortened into offseason. But he looked very promising in this game. He threw with zip, and he offers scrambling ability. And I just thought it was pretty interesting because before Terod Taylor, and it was a legitimate chest injury. I'm not saying that it wasn't. But what a great way to shock the Super Bowl champs was to just all of a sudden throw Justin Herbert in there. And the Chiefs, really, defense, they're really struggled. I mean, they really struggled to play against Herbert. They spent all week focusing on Terod Taylor. So at first I thought it was just a genius move by the Chargers, just kind of blindsiding the Chiefs by just throwing out Justin Herbert in there when Every indication was that Terod Taylor was going to be the start. But then we found out that Terod Taylor really was hurt, so I hope he gets better there. But Herbert threw with zip. He offers scrambling ability. He had a rushing touchdown in this game, 311 passing yards. He had a passing touchdown as well. However, his interception was a bad rookie mistake where he threw deep into double coverage across his body when he could have just picked up the first down when running. He was also very tough to tackle. Several Chiefs defenders went down, like trying to tackle this big guy. And Herbert looked like he was going to support these great pass catchers for the Chargers way better than Terod Taylor is. So you'd want Herbert to continue starting. Next week, the Chargers play the Carolina Panthers, so it would be a good week. For Herbert to get some confidence. I think it's like 50-50. Honestly, Anthony Lynn already said that Tarod Taylor is going to be the starter as long as he's healthy, but I wouldn't be surprised if they throw Herbert in there given the soft matchup against the Panthers in week three. In week three, it's now is a better time than any other time they could really possibly pick against that defense. Keenan Allen, 10 catches or sorry, 10 targets, 7 catches, 96 yards. I mentioned that if I was going to start any Wide receiver for the Chargers, despite Mike Williams' week one. It was going to be Keaton Allen because I thought it was going to be unlikely that Allen, as good as he is, had two bad games in a row. And Allen looked very sharp here, 96 yards for Keaton Allen. And this is after a slow week in week one. He was working underneath. He was finding the soft spots, and he showed a connection with Justin Herbert in Herbert's first start. Mike Williams did not do so much. Very quiet, very quiet. Yesterday, four targets, two catches, 14 yards, only a 12% target share in his first game with Justin Herbert at quarterback. That's very concerning. He They nearly connected on a deep shot in the end zone, but it was defended at the last moment by the Honey Badger. And lastly, for the passing game, Hunter Henry. Another strong game from Hunter Henry, who it looks like I undervalued in my draft guide. Hunter Henry, 73 yards on five catches in week one. This week, 83 yards on six catches with a different quarterback. So he's produced with two different quarterbacks, and he's just been a force over the middle field, and he's playing really well in what is a contract year for Hunter Henry. Austin Eckler, 16 carries, 93 yards, but here's the important part. Four targets, four catches, 55 yards against the Chiefs. Eckler looked like one of the best tackle breakers in the NFL in this game. Pro Football Focus tallied him up for 10 missed tackles. Tackles that he forced in this game, and he averaged 5.8 yards a carry. Eckler was truly great in this game. He couldn't find the end zone, but the Chargers did show life under Justin Herbert's guidance, and Herbert used Eckler like a receiver, unlike Terod Taylor. Unfortunately, however, for Eckler, he does not have full control over this backfield. Joshua Kelly saw 23 carries, including some in the red zone. This is a running back by committee. Eckler just happens to be the better running back than Joshua Kelly, but this is a full-blown on committee here. Eckler, a true playmaker after a quiet week one, but Josh Kelly was pretty quiet in week two, and when I say quiet, he certainly was getting involved a lot, but 23 carries for 64 yards, not very efficient. It's almost like they were just using him to run up the middle, and he actually out-touched Eckler 25-20 to in this game and saw 59% of the carries, and Kelly played 52% of the snaps, which is all great, but he just didn't do much with his carries. He did have a 40-yard gain on a catch early in this game. But other than that, it was there was just not a lot of room for Josh Kelly. He is absolutely 100% worth a spot in 12-team leagues. Make sure he is not on your waiver wire. He looks like he is a good player, and he's getting a lot of usage in this run-first Chargers offense. All right, moving on to the Los Angeles Rams. We go from the Los Angeles Chargers to the Los Angeles Rams. The Rams were in Philadelphia, and they cruised to a 2-0 with a 37-19 victory over the Eagles, who are now 0-2. Things are not looking good in Philly. Let's talk about the Rams. The winners first, Jared Goff, 267 passing yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions, mistake-free football from Jared Goff. He also had a little bit of some runs here, but he found Tyler Higbee in the end zone In mismatches for three red zone touchdowns. And again, Goff just avoided mistakes. Good game from Jared Goff. His longest pass only went for 28 yards. But he was just using play action well and beating an Eagles defense that is exploitable through the passing game. So good game by Jared Goff here. Not spectacular, but very strong outing from Goff. Unfortunately, Robert Woods did not have a good outing. Five targets, only two catches. 14 yards Yikes. But he saved his day from a nightmare day with three rushes, 19 yards, and a touchdown, a rushing touchdown. It's a five yard rushing touchdown. It was on a reverse handoff in the first quarter. And Woods only has a modest 13 targets through two weeks, which is not ideal. But the Rams have just been able to run the ball a lot better than I anticipated going into the season. Cooper Cup had somewhat of a bounce back game, but still not a great game by Cooper Cup. Five catches, 81 yards on six targets, uh, two rushes for 19 yards as well for Cooper Cup. He led the Rams in targets, but his usage has lessened since the emergence of Tyler Higby late last season. And Higby scored three times today. Cup had a few big plays, but Tyler Higby was the storyline here only five targets which is somewhat concerning you're not really going to get it done with five targets and continue to do this because touchdowns are so fluky and and they're so variable there but five catches on five targets 54 yards three touchdowns for tyler higby i hope you kept him in your starting lineups i hope you held on to tyler higby And wanted to give him one more chance, like I advised in my preview pod, where I said I'm not giving up on Higby yet. I'm glad I didn't. Tyler Higby, three touchdowns, one of the best days for tight ends all season so far, even though it is a short-lived season. But you aren't going to have many games that tight ends catch three touchdowns like for the rest of the year, honestly. And he he did a great job fighting for extra yards near the goal line, and the Rams were just... Killing the Eagles on play action, their linebackers and safeties just could not cover Tyler Higby in the red zone. And Gerald Everett, I don't think he had a catch in this game. So Tyler Higby, definitely the primary tight end, even though the volume has not been great. I think Tyler Higby is going to should stay in starting lineups, and I'm really happy that he had a bounce back game. After a slow week one because I was starting to get nervous if the late last season was a fluke. And I did rank Tyler Higbee as my tight end five in my draft guide. So moving on to the Rams running game. The lead back today was not Malcolm Brown who had 11 carries, 41 rushing yards. And it was not Cam Akers who had three carries, 13 yards. He started this game, but he exited in the first quarter with an arm injury. Malcolm Brown could not take advantage after Akers departed. And Daryl Henderson did. Daryl Henderson, twelve attempts, eighty-one yards, one touchdown, and two catches of forty yards. Henderson looked like the best back on the team in this game. Again, this is a full-blown running back committee. We will have to get a definitive timeline for Cam Akers. I'm not sure how long. He is going to be out. But Daryl Henderson, definitely worth an add in PPR formats if he was cut after the slow Week 1. And this is exactly why I advise not to be spending a lot of money in free agency on Malcolm Brown. This is exactly what he did last year, where he had two touchdowns in Week 1 and then didn't do much after that. This is a full-blown running back by committee. It's a three-way running back committee. But if Cam Akers is not there, Malcolm Brown will be more valuable. But Daryl Henderson, it looks like it's going to be a 50-50 split with him. So Malcolm Brown, just a limited upside. And that's why I advise not to be just kind of breaking the bank on Malcolm Brown in free agency. All right, let's get to the Philadelphia Eagles part of this game. And that was a sad, sad display there. Carson Wentz, 242 yards, no touchdowns passing, two interceptions. He did have a rushing touchdown that was short. However, it was on a quarterback sneak. Wentz's protection looked much better this week, but Wentz was not good in this game at all. Dreadful decisions. Very inaccurate. He just does not look comfortable with his revamped supporting cast. His offense is all out of sync. It's a disaster. It's affecting Deshaun Jackson. Nine targets for Jackson, which is good. Six catches, 64 yards. Jackson played more snaps. He played 56 snaps in this game as opposed to 37 in week one. However, the offense is just totally discombobulated. They can't get anything going deep, so Deshaun Jackson's been more of a short area target, which is it, or he was in this game at least, which is wild after being used as only a deep target in week one. The offense, it just doesn't make any sense. They have nothing going together. Jalen Rager was used more four targets, four catches, 41 yards. He is His playing time is rising. He was an 85% snap player in this game. But again, the Eagles passing attack just totally out of rhythm, out of sync, out of mind. And Rager, he is on the right trajectory. He's showing more usage. After the shoulder injury, he was questionable going into week one. And Rager somebody you want to hold in 12-team formats but not be starting. Zach Ertz, another somewhat slow game from Ertz. He had seven targets, which is good. Five catches, which is solid, but only 42 yards. Mainly used underneath, and he was out-targeted again by Dallas Goddard. This time, Ertz played better than Goddard. But Wentz was just not finding the long cushions in the defense. And Ertz has been... I don't know. Wentz has been pretty terrible for the two games for the Eagles offense, and it's it's trickling down to Zach Ertz. Dallas Goddard, eight targets is good. Four catches, thirty yards, did not have a good game. And again, that's mostly thanks to Wentz. The Eagles offense just struggling big time. Ertz and Goddard are really kind of canceling each other out, which is very frustrating for fantasy football purposes, especially if you drafted Ertz high. Not that frustrating if you were able to just scoop Dallas Goddard later, but I think Ertz is legitimately moving down from like tight end four, which is where pretty much everybody had him. Some people had him at tight end three going into the season. I had him at tight end four going into the season. I think he's legitimately moved down to like a tight end four play every week to more of like a low, like a back end tight end one, like borderline tight end one. What I mean by that is that borderline top 12 Tight end each week. I, I think it's gotten to that point. So hopefully Ertz can rebound, but it's not looking that good for Zach Ertz, who again is frustrated with his contract situation. The Eagles offense just totally stinks right now. Uh who you know who didn't stink though is Miles Sanders. 20 carries, 95 yards, and a score. Three catches, 36 receiving yards. He did stink to open up the game. He he lost a fumble on the Eagles' opening drive, and I was like, oh gosh, here we go. But he rebounded in a strong way, despite the Eagles playing without both starting offensive guards in this game. He was kind of untouched on his five-yard touchdown late in the first half. Boston Scott still mixed in. To make a few nice plays on seven touches. But Sanders was the focal point of this offense after missing week one with a hamstring injury. He looked healthy enough. He was definitely healthy enough to get the bell cow usage for the Eagles. So things are really looking up for Miles Sanders. If you drafted him in the second round of your drafts, I think now you can finally feel confident to be playing Sanders every single week. And for him to produce like a running back one, uh, which is a top 12 running back which is what you drafted him for Sanders was used like that in week one and that was very promising. All right, moving on to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers who easily took care of business against the Carolina Panthers 31-17 Tom Brady, angry Tom Brady only 217 passing yards, one touchdown, one interception versus an easy Carolina defense. This was a potential blow up spot I thought for Tom Brady but Brady just kind of game managed his way to a win his interception was forced and he underthrew Justin Watson on a would be long touchdown by six yards however Brady was better than the stats do indicate Scotty Miller dropped a would be 20 yard touchdown on the first drive of the game and Lashawn McCoy dropped a perfectly thrown it was like 15 to 20 yard touchdown as well later in the game and the Bucks were up 21-0 at one point And Brady's day was just not helped by three rushing touchdowns by the Buccaneers running backs. Chris Godwin was also out for this game. And that meant that Mike Evans, 10 targets, 7 catches, 104 yards, 1 touchdown, the squeaky wheel narrative... It hit almost immediately. Evans was the featured player in the first half after Bruce Arians said this week that he regretted not moving Evans around the formation and not getting him more targets in week one. Arians hinted that they kind of managed his downfield routes in week one because of his hamstring issue, but Evans yesterday found a 50-yard catch down the seam. He also bullied Dante Jackson, the cornerback, for a contested catch in the end zone, and the Bucs... Struggled the passing game, struggled in the second half, and they really just kind of iced the game with their running game as well. Again, Chris Godwin was out because of concussion issues. Scotty Miller was kind of DFS chalk, he was thought to be a sleeper this week by myself included. I even started him in a league or two. However, Scotty Miller did not pay off. He dropped a touchdown, which hurt for sure, but overall, the usage just was not there without Chris Godwin. Leonard. Fournette, 12 rushes, 103 yards, two touchdowns. Not many people were starting him because Ronald Jones was the clear bell cow in week one. Ronald Jones had seven carries, 23 yards, and a touchdown, so it was looking pretty good. But then Rojo and Brady had a miscommunication on some kind of handoff. It led to a fumble loss. And after that, Fournette was the main running back for the Bucs. So I mentioned Once Fournette signed there, this was kind of the best-case scenario for Fournette after he got cut because I mentioned that Fournette was likely not going to— Rojo was going to get the first chance as a starting running back, but then Fournette would be this team's main running back by midseason. I think midseason has already come. I think that little Fournette is going to be the main running back— for this team in Week 3. I already think there's a change in the guard. I think Ronald Jones had his chance. He wasn't very efficient against the Saints. Although they have a great run defense. Only 17 carries, 66 yards in that first game. And then yesterday, only 7 carries, 23 yards. He had the touchdown, but he fumbled the ball. And Brady obviously blamed it on him. And so did the coaches. So, Fournette is the running back there in Tampa. It's great news if you did draft Luna Fournette. Because... Even though it was a mistake at the time, you are going to get bailed out, it looks like. And you could get bailed out in a major way if he plays like he played against Carolina. His 46-yard running touchdown with only seconds to spare was after a recovered onside kick. And that just kind of iced the game for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But the storyline here is the changing of the guard from Ronald Jones to Leonard Fournette. Ronald Jones, I don't think you can even use him anymore The tight ends were not used in Tampa Bay. You can go ahead and cut Rob Gronkowski. You can probably cut O.J. Howard as well. It'll only get worse when Chris Godwin comes back. Rob Gronkowski, just a huge bust. People are trying to make him a thing. He's not a thing. He's washed. He's done. You can go ahead and get rid of him cleanly like I told you to do during the week. Moving on to the Carolina Panthers. Teddy Bridgewater, 367 yards but no touchdowns. Three turnovers, two of those interceptions. One was a fumble loss. Bridgewater did not do a good job protecting the ball. It, it was against a swarming defense. The Bucks defense played really well, but both of his interceptions were inaccurate, and he sailed a pass over Christian McCaffrey's head at the line of scrimmage. It just was a pretty ugly performance from Bridgewater. He did manage to keep the Panthers in the game, and he did a good job finding DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson in this game, in the second half especially. 13 targets for DJ Moore, 8 catches, 120 yards. Moore led the team in targets, and it was Bridgewater's go-to player in the intermediate game. And Carolina, again, was trailing all game. They probably will be trailing most of all games in every game. And the positive here is that Moore played really well against a very good what I think is a very good Tampa Bay defense. I was starting the Tampa Bay defense in a lot of spots. I went and grabbed them and a lot of teams in free agency because I just think their defense is for real after watching them against play against the saints. And unfortunately for DJ Moore, the red zone work is just dominated by Christian McCaffrey, Uh, Robbie Anderson, another good game. I mentioned that I'll start trusting Robbie Anderson after he has another good game in the next week or two. Well, here it was in week two, Ten targets, nine catches, 109 yards, zero touchdowns, but that's two straight games. Over 100 yards for Robbie Anderson to open the season. Anderson played a big role in this passing game. He seems to have a strong chemistry with Teddy Bridgewater, and he was targeted near the line of scrimmage quite a few times to get some easy catches. This is what we thought Curtis Samuel might be last year, maybe some thought even this year, but Robbie Anderson has been the guy. Carolina was trailing all game again, which helps. But Robbie Anderson, definitely a flex play now based on his situation with Teddy Bridgewater and being on a bad Carolina team. Christian McCaffrey, bad news here. 18 carries, 59 yards, two touchdowns, four catches, 29. The bad news is not the stats. He actually played a pretty good game. He was used a lot in the red zone. He was bottled up by a strong Bucks defense, but he did work in the red zone with his two short touchdowns. The bad news is that he went down late in this game with an ankle injury. He was getting it taped up. At the time, it wasn't thought to be that serious. The Bucks, I mean, the Carolina Panthers didn't really rule him out until the Bucks scored one of their final touchdowns and kind of iced the game, and then they ruled him out. But now it looks like it's going to be some type of high ankle sprain issue. McCaffrey is supposed to miss multiple weeks. That is devastating for the player you picked number 1 overall in fantasy football is going to miss time. He hasn't been hurt in years, so I guess you can make the argument with his workload. He received like 400 plus touches last year that it was due. But Mike Davis came in. He's the backup running back here. He's the guy you want to target in free agency. Eight targets, eight catches, 74 yards. He stepped in for CMC instantly and picked up his passing game role with Carolina trailing. Mike Davis, we'll talk about him in this week's waiver Wire pod, which should be tomorrow, Wednesday. But yeah, Mike Davis, CMC out for multiple weeks, I have heard. Okay, moving on to the Pittsburgh Steelers. 2-0 with a win over the Denver Broncos, 26 26- 21, the Steelers kind of got lucky in this game. They Drew Locke was forced out with an injury, and the Steelers were able to face Jeff Driscoll for the vast majority of this game, and they still kind of barely held on. But they are 2-0. Nonetheless, 311 yards, passing for Big Ben, and two touchdowns, one interception. And the Steelers receivers just kind of had their way with the Denver secondary missing cornerback A.J. Boye and Chase Claypool. Rookie wide receiver, second-round pick. He got loose down the sideline for a long touchdown. I think it was an 80-yard touchdown in Big Ben. He's looked pretty good this season. Juju Smith-Schuster, eight targets, seven catches, 48 yards. Very quiet day from Juju here. He was second in targets again to Deontay Johnson. He appeared to be over a knee injury that kept him out of some practice time this week. But Juju Smith-Schuster, very uh disappointing day I mean he was efficient I guess uh, catching eight or seven of eight targets but just kind of a quiet day from Juju Smith Schuster after the huge week one that he had Deontay Johnson I mentioned that he was my number one buy low candidate in my podcast this week Deontay Johnson 13 targets eight catches 92 yards one touchdown he honestly looks like he could be the number one receiver on this team I don't want to jump to conclusions yet I think it's more of a 1a 1b but, man, I mean, he looks right on equal footing with Juju Smith-Schuster, and he's actually being used more than Juju Smith-Schuster. And Johnson just kind of ran circles around Denver defenders all day, and Pittsburgh seems really intent on utilizing Johnson. He is a great breakout candidate here, and he has 23 targets over two games. I'm glad that I was higher than, John, than consensus on Deontay Johnson in my draft guide. I wish I wouldn't have been so high on Christian Kirk and near the same spot. And now for the story of one of the stories of the day for fantasy football. Honestly, the James Conner, 16 rushes, 116 yards, one touchdown, two catches, 15 yards. Conner took his job back from Benny Snell, and he managed a nice statistical day with a 59-yard run to close out this game. He was otherwise really had little room to run. He hadn't done much before, then his touchdown was of the goal line variety. Connor was not listed on the injury report going to this game despite exiting early in week one with the ankle injury. It's possible that Connor was just benched in week one instead of being hurt. Considering that Benny Snell was just the hot hand against the Giants and Connor just kind of threw a tantrum early in this game. There are different theories on that. But the ankle seemed okay today. And Benny Snell, this was the most important part. If you are a Connor drafter like I know I am, Benny Snell saw three carries and he lost a fumble in this game on only the three carries. So Connor should be the team's lead back going forward. It is a sigh of relief, a breath, breath of fresh air if you drafted Connor in the 3rd round like I know I did. I unfortunately he was on a lot of my benches this week. I think I started him in one or two leagues and benched him in one or two, but it was just overall a good positive day for James Connor. He looked Today, like the third-round pick that I wanted him to be, and with all these other injuries to running backs, Connor, surprisingly, ironically, is one of the few healthy running backs left. So a great, great, great day if you drafted James Connor. I mentioned in my podcast this week that there was probably an 80% chance that he he was going to bust this season, now knowing we know after week one and I mentioned that going into the season, I thought it was about a 40% chance. So I thought his chances of busting had doubled. Now I'm going to bring it back down to, uh, let's say, 45% chance that he busts here. And it will mainly be because of injury because he is used as the bell cow back for the Steelers. So the only way he won't hit is if he gets hurt, which is you know, very likely, especially the way things are going right now. But you have to feel good if James Conner's on your team after what looked very ominous after week one. And Drew Locke, 20 passing yards. He had a fumble loss in this game before he left in the game. He only was one out of five passing before exiting. He left in the first quarter with a shoulder injury. I think it was a sprained AC joint. He's reportedly going to miss two to six weeks. That's another huge fantasy injury. Cortland Sutton also exited with a leg cramp in this game, what was thought to be a leg cramp in the third quarter. Sutton was having a decent game with Jeff Driscoll. He had three catches, 66 yards against the Steelers, uh, very good defense. However, now it's being reported, and I'm just seeing this as I'm recording, that this looks like it could be a serious injury and that they are fearing that it could be a significant knee injury here. So Cortland Sutton, you can add him to the list of so many players, so many fantasy-relevant injuries that happened in Week 2. That's certainly the story nine of Week 2. It was a bloodbath out there. Jerry Judy, also exited in this game seven. So just the Broncos are just getting torn to pieces here. Seven targets for Judy, four catches, 62 yards. He did return to the game, but he didn't do much after he returned Jeff Dr- with Jeff Dr- Driscoll. I couldn't say his name. Jeff Driscoll at quarterback. So despite Quentin Sutton leaving, yeah, not a great game for Jerry Judy here. Noah offense. another good game though. Five targets, four catches, 57 receiving yards, one touchdown, and he had two-point conversion. And Fant looked very athletic once again, looking like a nightmare for Pittsburgh's secondary. Despite Drew Locke exiting early, he had a really athletic juggling downfield catch in the fourth quarter. And Sutton, if he's out for significant time, then Fant could be could remain a significant part of this offense. KJ Hamler, wide receiver, third wide receiver for the Broncos, would also start opposite Jerry Judy. He would be a name to keep an eye on for the waiver wire if. Cortland Sutton's injury is serious, which it is expected to be, which is a dang shame because at the time it was just he was just supposed to be exiting for what looked like leg cramps. All right, so moving on to the Green Bay Packers, and they stayed hot. They wrecked the Detroit Lions 42 to 21. They doubled their score. That is not good for the Lions. 240 passing yards for Aaron Rodgers, two touchdowns, zero interceptions. Aaron Rodgers has zero turnovers on the season. Rodgers. Only completed 18 passes in this one, but he was very efficient. His passes went for a good amount. 18 passes for 240 yards, that is good. He's clicked with his star players, Devontae Adams and Aaron Jones. The Packers are throwing more this season, I would say, and they've benefited from playing two soft opponents. But this is a nice star for Aaron Rodgers. Again, the Lions were missing their number two and number three corners. It could have been even a bigger day if Devontae Adams had not exited probably Three targets for Devontae Adams, three catches, 36 yards. So a very quiet day for Devontae Adams. It was a potential smash spot against the Detroit Lions, who were again missing their second and third corners in this game. But Adams exited later in the game with a hamstring injury, and it's just bad game flow. The Packers were winning for most of the second half, and two injuries that Adams picked up kind of slowed him down. He got rolled up on in the first half, uh, which – he was sent to the sideline to give his ankle some time to rest, and then Adams exited again with a hamstring injury. Neither looked really severe, and he possibly could have returned if the game was closer, I would say. But only 36 yards for Devontae Adams against the worthless Lions secondary here, which is unfortunate. The Aaron Jones, huge monster game from Aaron Jones. I'm so regretting being down on Aaron Jones in my draft guide. What a dang shame that that is. 18 carries, 168 yards, two touchdowns, eight targets, four catches, 68 yards, and a touchdown receiving two. Jones was just the star of the day both as a rusher and the receiver. He he burst up the middle for a 75-yard touchdown. He bounced outside for a second rushing touchdown, and he found space in the flats for his third score, which was a receiving touchdown. Devontae Adams being slowed by the hamstring injury, that helped the offense cater to Jones. Jones is in a contract year. Jamal Williams is still in this rotation, but Jamal Williams just looks like he's just not even remotely on Aaron Jones' level. Aaron Jones, I said that he was going to be due for touchdown regression after scoring 19 times last year. However... He already has four touchdowns through two weeks. So crazy stuff for Aaron Jones here. He is a top five running back in fantasy football. The Lions, Matt Stafford, 244 passing yards, two touchdowns, one interception. Just a middling day for Stafford. Once again, Kenny Galladay was out, and the Lions just... Really didn't show up to play on either side of the ball against the Packers. Aaron Jones just steamrolled the Lions once again, and Stafford just looked okay. He had a pick six on an out route, but a lot of his yardage came in garbage time. He found Marvin Jones for a short score. I mean, that was pretty much it for Stafford. He's just a middling quarterback play. Without Kenny Galladay there as best playmaker, it's hard to justify saying that Stafford is a top-12 fantasy quarterback right now. Marvin Jones, eight targets, four catches, 23 yards, one touchdown against Green Bay. Again, Galladay's out. I feel like Marvin Jones actually needs Galladay there so he can take off some of the top coverage that he's receiving. Luckily, he squeezed in a short touchdown to save his day. TJ Hawkinson, it's been so crazy. TJ Hawkinson in the first game, five targets, five catches, 56 yards, and a touch. In this game, four targets, four catches, 62 yards. So efficient. Every time the Lions have thrown to TJ Hawkinson this season, it has been a catch for a substantial amount of yards. But yet the Lions just won't do it. They won't feature him, and that's without Kenny Galladay being there. The Lions offense, I know they've been out of rhythm, but Hawkinson has gotten looks, and he's passed the eye test on tape, but he just couldn't find the end zone today. Only four targets despite favorable game flow. It just doesn't make sense. Why are you not using this guy more? He's a total stud. I don't get it. Hopefully... When Kenny Gallaty comes back, it just kind of opens up the offense and Hawkinson will be used in the red zone more. But to me, it makes no sense why you're not using your eighth overall pick who clearly looks like he's going to be a star in this league if he was peppered with targets. I don't get it. I don't, I don't understand. But it is the Detroit Lions. It is Matt Patricia. That is the fear when you draft Lions players. And that's also the fear with this running back by committee. It's on full display here when they're getting when they're getting trampled by the Green Bay Packers The run by back, back by committee I mentioned I wouldn't start any of them DeAndre Swift still playing in the passing role and he had 5 targets 5 catches 60 yards but only 12 yards rushing he's not really startable right now though because I don't know. Today was like the best possible scenario for Swift in terms of game script. They were losing like the entire second half. Adrian Peterson only seven carries, 41 rushing yards. And then on Johnson had a goal line score and he started this game and he had the only rushing touchdown for the Lions. So I don't know. It's just a total cluster there in the Detroit backfield. I don't trust it. I don't want anything to do with it. And I didn't want anything to do with it going into the season. All right, moving on to the Indianapolis Colts. That is 214 passing yards, one touchdown, one interception for Phillip Rivers. It was an exploitable matchup against the Vikings teams that struggled to contain the pass in week one and was missing Daniil Hunter. But his interception was in the red zone. Other than that, it was just a quiet day from Phillip Rivers. He wasn't really needed. The Colts just rode their running game in great defense to victory. And Rivers should have had a 44-yard touchdown strike to T.Y. Hilton. But Hilton committed another inexplicable drop, and I just don't— understand what's going on with T.Y. Hilton right now. He's in a contract year, two. It just doesn't. I mean, he is just having a terrible season so far. That's three inexcusable big-time drops from T.Y. Hilton in Weeks one and two. He could have be having a much better fantasy season. Only three catches here. 28 receiving yards for T.Y. Hilton. Only five targets. Paris Campbell exited with a significant knee injury. That is another injury. It looks like he's torn his ACL. Another injury for the week two bloodbath. But this means... This could mean extra targets for T.Y. Hilton, but he just couldn't take advantage of it today. And I know that the Vikings didn't really need him, but dropping another long pass that could have been a touchdown, just a blatantly terrible start for T.Y. Hilton this season. Who has not gotten off to a bad start is Jonathan Taylor, who outtouched touched Naeem Hines 28-1 to in this game. So, so much for that running back by committee. And what... A shame for people who spent free agency fab money on Naeem Hines or their number one waiver wire claim. I thought this was going to be a running back by committee. I thought that Hines was going to get the receiving down work. The Colts said, nah, we don't need Hines, and they're probably right, honestly. Jonathan Taylor looked great, and really nobody was needed in the receiving game here because the Colts were controlling this game from the get-go. But Jonathan Taylor, 26 carries, 101 yards, and a touchdown. Taylor only averaged 3.9 yards a carry, but that was in obvious rushing situations all game. The Colts were leading all game to, thanks to the great defensive effort, and Taylor was routinely tacking on extra yards early in the game. He looks like he's going to be a potential monster and league winner. So, yeah, Jonathan Taylor, wow. Naeem Hines, zero rushing attempts, only one catch for four yards. So they will likely be Better days for Naeem Hines, but we just cannot trust him going forward and starting lineups. This was a situation where he probably burned a lot of fantasy managers. And moving on to the Vikings, and it is ugly for Minnesota. If there's any offense that is probably the worst offense in the league right now, it is Minnesota. Kirk Cousins, we do not like that, Kirk. We do not like that. 113 yards, zero touchdowns, three interceptions for Kirk and the offense was just pathetic. He took a safety when he held on to the ball far too long. The Vikings offense has been terrible through two games, and they just badly miss Stephon Diggs. His interceptions were all just straight-up bad decisions. There's just no excuse for Kirk Cousins. The Colts played good defense, but wow, I mean, this was just tragic. Adam Thielen, eight targets once again, but only three catches and 31 yards in this game. Thielen was the most targeted receiver because, of course, they have nobody else. But Kirk Cousins was just so brutal that he couldn't even get him the ball. The Colts bracketed Thielen, and they doubled Thielen. And he just couldn't get anything going for this game. Thielen's hardly to blame because Cousins was atrociously horrific. But it's a bad sign for his outlook. They need to pick up their offensive play immediately. They need to pick up their pace, too. The Vikings have played under 50 snaps in both games, weeks one and two. That is horrible. I think that's probably one of the first times that's happened in a long time, I read somewhere. Under 50 snaps is terrible. The league average is about 65 snaps a game. It's just not looking good for the Vikings. Dalvin Cook, 14 rushes, 63 rushing yards, one touchdown. He also had another two-point conversion in this game. My numbers are right. Dalvin Cook has three two-point conversion so far this season, which is pretty crazy. The Vikings offense has just gone off the rails, so the touches are down, of course. But Cook is just a monster at finding the end zone, right? Like in the red zone, he scored short rushing touchdowns, three of them so far this season, and he's found again three two point conversions. He hasn't done much in the receiving game, but his ability to find the end zone is sensational. So, Dalvin Cook touchdowns are kind of saving grace there. All right, moving on to the Chicago Bears, and they beat the Giants 17 13, and they held on from a late. Potential Daniel Jones comeback in this game to shockingly go 2-0. and So the Bears are not who we thought they were. Allen Robinson, slow start to the season. Nine targets, three catches, 33 yards in yesterday's games. The Bears won again, but Allen Robinson cannot be happy with his numbers after two weeks. He, looked dis- or he was disgruntled during the week. He unfollowed the Bears on social media, expressing displeasure with his contract negotiations. Stuff like this can't help, even though he is winning. He's just in a tough situation there. The real story here for the Bears passing game is that Anthony Miller is no longer the number two wide receiver in on this team. That is Darnell Mooney, who caught a touchdown in this game. Anthony Miller, three targets, zero catches. You can safely drop Anthony Miller. What a tease that he has been after a good week one. But the usage is just not there. And I mentioned that I was worried that he only played 42% of the snaps in week one, so I wasn't fully buying in. Well, here, there was a reason that he was only playing 42% snaps, and that's that's because he was not a full-time player. Darnell Mooney is the number two receiver for the Chicago Bells. As crazy as that sounds, I'm surprised too. But Anthony Miller is a drop in 12-team leagues. Week two for David Montgomery was outstanding. I mentioned that I really wanted to play David Montgomery in my leagues that I had him in this week because it was such a great matchup and because I thought week one was promising here, 16 carries, 82 yards, three catches, which is rare for David Montgomery, even though he can catch. They just always throw to Tariq Cohen, who by the way, just signed a, in a contract extension. So he's not going away anytime soon, unfortunately, but three catches, 45 yards and a touchdown. The catch was a thing of beauty. Honestly, it was near the sideline. It was kind of on a little dump off, but he evaded defenders and cut back inside for a long receiving touchdown. And he also exited this game with a neck injury in the second quarter but returned after halftime. And Montgomery was the preferred ball carrier, and he just looked good in the running game. So definitely positive signs for David Montgomery. I think we can throw him in as a decent running back two, definitely a great running back three slash flex. All right, moving on to the New York football Giants. And it was ugly from them, 241 yards, by Daniel Jones, zero touchdowns, one interception. He did have 21 rushing yards to cancel out that interception, but man, this was a game to forget. Sterling Shepard lost with injury. Saquon Barkley lost with injury. I'll get to that in a second. But the offense was just stuck in neutral for most of this game. Daniel Jones, he gave his team a chance to win late because the Bears couldn't put the game away with Mitch Trubisky. However, Daniel Jones just couldn't get it done, and overall, it just was not. It's not been a promising start for Daniel Jones here. Darius Slayton was had a predictable let-get-down game, I would say. Six targets, 33 receiving yards on three catches. His six targets were second behind Ingram, Evan Ingram's eight. But considering that the Giants were trailing all game, considering that Sterling Shepard and Barkley le- left early, this was a poor effort from Darius Slayton. Golden Tate did return in this game, had a few catches, but nothing of note. Sterling Shepard exited this game after two catches, 29 yards in the second quarter. I predicted that Sterling Shepard was going to, the pendulum was going to swing his way in this game over Darius Slayton. He's going to have a better game than Slayton. It looked like that was going to be the case, but then he left in the second quarter. Uh, Golden Tate, five catches, 47 yards on five targets, and he kind of slid into Shepard's spot after Shepard exited this game. Evan Ingram was the Giants' de facto number one receiver in this game. Eight targets, six catches, 65 yards. This is exactly what I predicted that Ingram would do. I said in my matchup pod preview that Ingram was going to have five or six catches for 60 yards. He had six catches for 65 yards here. Sterling Shepard, Saquon Barkley exited early, so Ingram got a little more. He's seen 15 targets through two weeks, which is pretty good, but he just hasn't done much with them yet. And here's the news of the day. For fantasy football here. And it is terrible, terrible, terrible news. Saquon Barkley. Torn ACL. So this is a situation where we lost... Number one overall pick, Christian McCaffrey. What looks like it's going to be multiple weeks with his ankle injury. And now we're We're losing number two consensus overall pick, Saquon Barkley, to a torn ACL. And that is just tragic. Barkley, four rushes, 28 yards in this game before exiting early. And this is just a very, very sad day for fantasy football for sure. And we will get to the Giants running back situation in the waiver wire pod this week. Week. All right, moving on to the Baltimore Ravens, who are now two zero thanks to an easy win over the Houston Texans. Man, I just, I just can't get over the Saquon Barkley thing, man. That is just so unfortunate, just so sad. Honestly, like, I, I just, I really just can't stop thinking about it. Like, how many teams that's going to derail, of course. And I also feel bad, obviously, for Saquon Barkley himself, who I know he wanted to have a big year after the high ankle sprain plagued the year last season. It's just a sucky situation all around. Injuries suck. You wish you could just play Madden and put on the no injuries rule or play on no injuries mode there, but you just can't do it. They're a huge part of fantasy football, so hopefully you are able to dodge the injury bullets yesterday on your teams. I know on my teams, like personally, I haven't – I didn't have any exposure to Saquon Barkley or Christian McCaffrey or Raheem Mostert or Jimmy Garoppolo or any of these guys who have these or Cortland Sutton or Kenny Galladay or any of these guys who have these long-term injuries. But obviously George Kittle being out really hurts. And then Will Fuller, who we'll talk about in a second, did his thing that he normally tends to do, which I was hoping didn't happen. But let's get to that. Let's get to the Ravens here. Lamar Jackson, smooth sailing. For the Ravens, whose front seven defensively just kind of handled this game and made throwing not really that necessary. 201 yards for Jackson, one touchdown, but he also had 56 yards running on the ground. And Jackson completed 18 to 24 passes, so not a high-volume day for Lamar Jackson. The Ravens ran the ball 37 times with their running back by committee. Mark Andrews was very limited in this game. He just wasn't even used, wasn't even needed. To be used. Only one catch for 29 yards. It came in the first quarter. Jackson again only attempted 24 passes. It was a great catch and run by Andrews, but he just didn't do anything after that. The defense and the running game controlled this game for the Ravens. So it was just strictly a game flow thing. It was nothing of Mark Andrews doing. Same for Marquise Brown. Hollywood Brown, six targets, five catches, 42 yards. That's about all he could really do. He just kind of found some pockets in the Houston secondary. He took what the defense gave him. And he wasn't really asked to do much more than that because, again, the Ravens won 33-16 without their two prominent pass catchers here. They just were able to run the ball all game, 37 rushing attempts, and play good defense to this win. And one of the reasons that I loved Marquise Brown and Mark Andrews this year is because I thought we were going to get – Passing regression, like positive passing regression, because the Ravens only trailed on 19% of their plays in the 2019 season. I thought that number was going to go up, which meant more forced passing for the Baltimore Ravens, who I know love to run the ball, but I thought it it meant more passing incoming for the Ravens. But guess how many plays, or guess what percentage of plays that the Ravens have trailed so far this season? 0 They have not trailed on a single offensive play this season. Hence, the lower numbers than expected by Marquise Brown here and Mark Andrews. Although they did both have, they had one really good game in week one and one bad game in week two. So it's kind of just 50-50 split here. But we need the Ravens to start losing more. Hopefully that'll come next week when they face the Chiefs. Mark Ingram. I predicted that he was going to have a bounce-back game in Week 1. I predicted that J.K. Dobbins was going to let people down and the pendulum was going to swing Ingram's way. The ebb and flow of the NFL, that's exactly what happened. Nine carries, 55 yards, and a rushing touchdown, 33 receiving yards for Ingram. So good game by Mark Ingram. However, this is a full-blown three-way running back committee. 10-9 to nine was the rushing attempts by Gus Edwards and Mark Ingram, with actually Gus Edwards getting the 10 carries there. Ingram getting 9 carries. J.K. Dobbins only had 2 carries. One of them was a 44-yard run up the middle late in the game, just kind of in garbage time there, which was good. And Dobbins did show some great balance on a 13-yard catch, but other than that, he didn't really do anything. Three total touches for Dobbins. Dobbins did not have a first-half touch in this game. So this is just gonna be a total cluster by the Ravens. Very tough to trust, except in the most in the softest of matchups, which we did have against Houston. Speaking of Houston, we got to move on to the Texans here. 275 passing yards, one touchdown, one interception by Deshaun. Watson. He was afforded very little time. It was an ugly game once again for Deshaun Watson. He's looking like a bust so far. He took four sacks. He didn't have Will Fuller for the majority of the afternoon, so he was playing with scrubs against a top secondary. Marcus Peters had a diving interception in the red zone. Kiki Kuti fumbled the ball in Ravens territory. That didn't help. So today showed that if there's no Will Fuller and if he has a significant absence or extended absence, that it's going to be catastrophic for the Houston offense because there's just nothing behind Will Fuller. Fuller, Will Fuller, a disaster of a day. Nothing. Nothing's wrong. And it's not because he wasn't playing good football. It's because he wasn't healthy. Exited with a hamstring injury. Sorry, guys. I got to sit this one out. Fuller, not targeted in this game, was seen stretching uh, his hamstring on the sideline for most of the afternoon. He did try to return in the third quarter, but he was constantly taking in and out of Houston lineup. It was a typical. Will Fuller performance, he'll do that to you like one or two times during the year. Hopefully, it's not a significant like actually hamstring strain or anything like that. But the Texans never reported the injury throughout the game. Hopefully, he'll be ready to roll next week. But this is the risk that comes with Will Fuller. The goose egg definitely sucks. And it definitely burned me on like what? Like six leagues out of seven that I drafted Fuller in. So yeah, that just that just sucked especially after the really promising week one, the 100-yard game on eight catches. It looked like Fuller was going to have a ball in season, but then again, he lets let you down. Brandon Cooks came in there and looked good in Fuller's absence, which made me even more upset that Fuller could have had a big game because they were trailing all game against the Ravens. Uh, Brandon Cooks, eight targets, five catches, 95 yards. He looked much healthier after going into week one questionable with a quad injury. I definitely think Brandon Cooks is worth a roster spot on 12-team leagues now, and I definitely think that Cooks is probably even worth starting in the flex if Will Fuller does miss more time. David Johnson, a bad game from David Johnson, and it wasn't really David Johnson's fault. He actually looked okay. 11 carries, 34 yards, 2 catches, 16 yards, but he was just game-scripted out of this game because the Ravens were trailing by so much. Johnson handled 100% of the Houston backfield touches with Duke Johnson out but the bad news is that there were just limited opportunities with the Texans, again, trailing all game against tough Ravens defense. Johnson did still look pretty good and healthy. There was just nowhere to run. And Watson actually overshot him on a 25-yard potential catch down the sideline where he was open. He had two or three steps ahead of the defender. But that is just too bad, so sad for David Johnson and Will Fuller, who both looked like big hits in Week 1. But the NFL just turns on you so quickly. And the injury bug bit Will Fuller and David Johnson. Just a brutal matchup in week two, which I did mention going in, but just disappointing to see all around. Two players that I loved in my draft guide this season. Not a good week two for either of them. All right, moving on to the last game, and that is the Seahawks narrowly defeating Cam Newton's Patriots on Sunday Night Football in a thrilling. Performance, One of the games of the year. I would say it was one of the games of the year, if not for the Cowboys and Falcons game. Those are two games that we will be talking about for a while. I mean, those games were just so incredible. They honestly might be the two best games. one, Two of the best games once the season ends, and we're looking back on it, might be two of the best games in the entire year. Uh, but the Seahawks got the win. Russell Wilson, Mr. Unlimited. His name, his name's Mr. 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 Unlimited. you, know, you got to be unlimited. you, know, you got to have a thought process of being unlimited. The Seahawks let Wilson cook once again, 288 passing yards, five touchdowns, one interception, 39 rushing yards for Russell Wilson. He's been an MVP so far, both in fantasy and in real life. And Wilson opened up with a pick six in this game. That was totally Greg Olsen's fault because Olsen basically dropped the pass and it landed in the defender's arm who took it to the house. But that was the only blip on Russell's radar, and it wasn't even Wilson's fault. He was sensational once again. All five of his touchdowns going to different wide receivers. Two of them came from 30-plus yards out. He had the rushing yards to boot, and the Seahawks just outlasted the Patriots in the shootout between two great dueling quarterbacks. I'll get to Cam Newton in a second, but Russell Wilson just looked like an MVP, and he just eviscerated New England's normally stingy man coverage. I thought he was going to have a worse game than in Week 1. But no, Wilson just proved that he is here to stay. He's always been a stud, but the 40, uh, the Seahawks, excuse me, have been hesitant to let him have the reins and let R- Russell Wilson cook. They certainly are just letting it be his offense this year. That is great news. Wilson has quarterback number one upside now that he's been used like this. And in week two, we also saw Tyler Lockett score a touchdown. His first of the year, 67 yards, seven catches. It was somewhat of a quiet day considering the surprising shootout and considering the five touchdowns for Wilson. But again, the New England defense, very good. And Wilson's touchdown was a four-yard catch in traffic in the first quarter. D.K. Metcalf. Four catches, 92 yards, and a score, all in Stephon Gilmore's coverage his 54 yard touchdown beat stefan gilmore down the sideline was a perfect throw by russell wilson it's very similar to that week one touchdown that they had and metcalf is starting to refine his game and he's off to a hot start so great stuff from dk metcalf and tyler lockett there but especially metcalf chris carson 17 carries 72 yards no scores but he did have a receiving touchdown and 36 yards in the air. Carson was quiet for most of the game before turning it on in the fourth quarter. And he beat the Patriots' safety, Adrian Phillips, to the end zone. Russell Wilson found him in a floater late in the game. And it was just another perfect throw by Wilson who was just on fire in this game. Carson lost some snaps due Carson, uh, to Carlos Hyde in this game on early downs. And even Travis Homer on passing downs. But Carson was still the lead back. And as long as he keeps finding the end zone, he is going to remain valuable. Although it is worth noting that Carlos Hyde did get a couple of series to himself entirely. And lastly, we got to move on to the New England Patriots. And wow, what one of the stories of Week Two? Cam Newton, prime Cam Newton, is back. And I've gone, I've talked at length about how the NFL is just so freaking stupid for letting this guy be a free agent for so long. How no team wanted to take a chance on him. They used the health as an excuse. I think that we know the real reason for it, but I don't want to get political here. But Cam Newton should not have been a free agent, even with his health in question. Why not just take a chance on him, even as a backup quarterback? There's no excuse for a team like a Bears, the Bears not take a chance on him. So many teams we're seeing bad quarterback play from. Why not take Cam Newton? And if you're the Patriots' rivals, Why didn't they just take him to avoid the Patriots getting Cam Newton? They knew going into the season with Jared Stidham wasn't going to be good. This team would be totally different with Jared Stidham, probably 0 2 with no chance. They'd probably be rebuilding with Jared Stidham if I had to guess. Cam Newton, they're all of a sudden back in contention for literally the AFC Championship and the Super Bowl. It's so crazy how dumb and stubborn teams can be in not wanting to take chances. I mean, come on. This guy is a former MVP, always just so criticized for being inaccurate, and it's just been so wrong. Cam Newton is a is a very accurate quarterback. Yes, sometimes he airmails passes. Sometimes he'll sail passes over his receivers. He'll overthrow them. Sometimes he'll skip to the ground. The problem is that his misses are uglier than most quarterbacks misses. But overall, he is a, a very accurate quarterback. And we saw that last night. He was making all the throws. He was decisive. And in week one, he went 15 of 19 completing passes. So Cam Newton is just totally back and just a total steal in fantasy football where you got him. He's a quarterback one for sure. And I'm realizing that I'm, start, as I'm talking right now, I'm realizing that I'm being hypocritical by saying, why didn't these NFL teams take a chance on Cam Newton? Well, I didn't in fantasy football either, even though I knew that it was such a great situation for the Patriots. I didn't take the chance. I don't have any shares of Cam Newton, but Cam Newton just looks like the real deal, and that is just definitely regrettable. Goal line package for Cam Newton, just rushing is just unstoppable, like until the final play of the game, I guess. But, But Cam Newton may legitimately rush for 16 touchdowns this year. Rush for 16 touchdowns. He's already got four rushing touchdowns on the season, and the Patriots just have no running game. And I get, do want to give my condolences and thoughts and prayers to James White, who potentially lost both of his parents in a car crash. That's why he was inactive in this game. Uh, but he did lose his father up to this point. So very sad stuff there. You can tell like the outcry, the outpour of kind words to James White and sympathy for James White. You can tell that he's just one of the great guys in this league because you don't do that for just a normal player. But from a fantasy perspective, that is why he was a scratch for this game. That's why he did not play in this game. And it was kind of last second there. But either way, the running game, it was mostly Rex Burkhead, Burkhead last night. But the running game, just not trustworthy in New England. You can't really be rostering any of these backs. Damian Harris comes back from IR after week three. Julian Edelman, however, 11 targets, 8 catches, 100 in 79 yards it was the highest receiving yard day of his entire career and Edelman got open on a 49 yard catch he was tackled near the goal line he could have had a touchdown he also had a diving catch that went for 30 plus receiving yards like a one hand uh, not a one hand it was like a it was just an amazing diving catch though And Edelman is the focal point of the passing game, despite playing a little fewer snaps this season because he's only coming in on three wide receiver sets. But he still looks great, and he looks like a great value in drafts. I forgot to mention Cam Newton's stat line, by the way. 397 passing yards, one touchdown, one interception, 11 carries, 47 yards, Two rushing touchdowns against Seattle. They almost got the win, too. They got stuffed on the goal line on the final play of game. Could have had a third rushing touchdown had they converted that. But the Seahawks' offensive line just kind of blew up the Patriots' offensive line on that play. And lastly, Nikhil Harry, 12 targets, 8 catches, 72 yards. I said Nikhil Harry was a hold before this game. Hopefully you listen to that advice. He is a nice little PPR value. They're using him on short targets. They're trying to get him involved. I think his role will only increase as the season progresses. And as a reminder, Harry is. He was their first-round pick in last year's draft. So there is pedigree there. All right, that'll conclude today's lengthy episode. If you did enjoy today's show, do me a solid. Hit the subscribe button and give a positive rating or review. I really would appreciate that. I'm losing my voice over here. We still have one more game left. It's the Saints and Raiders. Personally, I give my good luck to the Saints, of course. I am a Saints fan. But good luck to all of you in fantasy football who still have games, their matchups on the line for tonight's game. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya. And who dat?